You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It's Wednesday, October the 4th. Thanks for tuning in once again. You join me uh, just on the stroke of 7 o'clock a.m. in Scotland, Kinross, uh, in South Kilduff, which is, of course, the base and, and the storied base of not one but two Grand National winners, Corak Rambler, uh, the latest star from Lucinda Russell's stable, and we will be catching up with him and the winning trainer a little later in the show. Also be talking about what's been going on at Tattersall's. Charlotte Greenway's reporting for us down there. She'll be joined by Jane Mangan, who had her own, or somebody else's, um, checkbook out yesterday. Um, Plus, we'll be reflecting on the Melbourne Cup latest declaration stage toward the end of the programme and a significant um, link there because Victoria Road, uh, the Aidan O'Brien horse who is not in the Cup but is in the Cox Plate declarations, is a half-sibling to one of the horses that made all the money at Tattersall's yesterday. So all the connections you can imagine on today's show. But first of all, with all that positivity swirling away in the background, uh, we must talk about affordability checks. Don't turn off now. I know it's a subject that sometimes makes you reach for almost anything else. But yesterday, uh, late night at Edinburgh Airport, about 11.30, was the only time I could connect with uh, Will Woodhams from Fitzdares, who is, of course, one of our supporters on this podcast. And he uh, contributed to the first part of what's a, a really interesting series in the Racing Post, written by senior writer Lee Moss said, and you'll be hearing from Lee uh, after this interview. And I rather feel that significantly after dark is probably the right time to have a conversation like this, and in a rather soulless location as well, such is the, the bleak nature of this conversation. I'll just read you the final line of Will Woodham's interview with Lee, Uh, in the Racing Post earlier this week. It said, The truth is that when you bring together the impact of affordability checks and the inability of punters to get bets on at their desired stake, racing is basically toast. And this is from a bookmaker that is deriving more of its profits by percentage from horse racing than perhaps any other with a recognisable name. Will Woodhams, racing is basically toast. Are you trying to frighten us or do you speak the truth? I, uh, hi Nick. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's the truth, and it's uh, it's well, it's not toast. We can restructure racing anywhere we want, and have you know we could go back to a PMU tote model as we did in the past. Uh, there's ways of reskinning the cap, but um, as it is now, it's very challenging for high-staking punters to get bets on. And there, as I said to Lee at the Racing Post, it's it's eighty percent of the stakes, so it's a, it's a tough time for racing. And I think they've woken up to the challenge. Um, but it's it is the, it's the truth, and we're not just saying this as scaremongers. It's for for the bookmaking industry, which fundamentally funds racing. Uh, we need to wake up to that fact, and uh, you know whether we challenge our MPs or do something about it, that's up to us. But unfortunately the big bookmakers can look elsewhere for their funding so so it's a it's a kind of big question for the racing industry on how they want to continue as as an organization and as a sport 
Okay, let's separate this out. How viable does your business become without racing customers? Well, currently, uh, it's not viable. But we would we would look to um, we'd look to take money on other sports. We're we're moving internationally. We have licenses in Ireland and Ontario. We're looking for more international licenses. So, you know, we'll always make good. We're a business. You know, we're agile. We want to do different things. But our heart and soul of a hundred years of taking bets is in UK horse racing. So, you know, ultimately that's where we want to be. Just remind everybody why it's 100 years of taking bets because people will think, well, hang on a minute, Fitzsters was only founded in 2005 or whatever it was. You've caught me out like a good journalist you are. But um, no, we, we, we bought um, Sunderland's and through Habershaw's and the multiple other bookmakers and acquisitions, we've been taking bets since about 1870-something, 1880-something. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're, by acquisition, we've, we've been taking bets for over 140 years. Can you explain in your words and in simple terms the gap between the narrative of the Gambling Commission and the amount of punters that they believe will be affected by affordability checks or are being being affected by affordability checks and the figure that you have just given? Well, it's super simple. Um, They're they're quoting the entire gambling ecosystem, uh, for want of a better word, and uh, the majority of football bets, um, there are a few high-staking football punters, but the majority of football bets are small, ACA, multiple-driven bets. And uh, the bets that drive revenue directly into racing are normally high-staking clients. So this sort of 80-20 thing that's sort of lauded around is pretty much true, um, that, uh, you know, the £50 plus up to £10,000, £20,000 racing punters, uh, through the way uh, we pay for data rights and the levy, fund racing. So it's, you know, unless we, I think I said in the um, Racing Post article, unless we find three million five-pound punters on every race, that funding is drying up at speed um, because it's high-staking punters that fund the business. A lot of them are owners, a lot of them are integral to racing, a lot of them are international, a lot of them are very, you know, um, a bit older, um, but they are the people funding uh, UK racing. What I'd like to know from you is the extent to which you've seen your own turnover drop and the extent to which these sometimes quite high net worth individuals that you're speaking of are actually betting less than they were. Oh, yeah, we, they're going elsewhere. I mean, they're not. They don't. We have great relationships with our clients and they say to us, we are betting in Ireland or Montenegro or elsewhere because they're not uh, uh, those. It's illegal. It's black. I mean, I could pretend it's grey, but it's black. And they're WhatsApp betting offshore because those markets don't have to pay data rights, don't have to pay levy, don't have to pay uh, general betting duty, don't have to pay VAT. In the UK, bookmakers pay VAT. This is another silent tax on our industry and it sounds like i'm moaning but it's very 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 expensive to take horse racing bets 
And I think even uh, the mothership or Bet365 is looking at UK racing as a loss leading. Well, the problem is, it's, you know, it, it could be loss leading for X amount of times. But ultimately, if it's loss making, why would you take a bet on it? Why would you sell a product um, that doesn't make money? And there's so much tax and VAT and data and stuff. Uh, and that sounds like me moaning and no one really has much sympathy for bookies. But that's affecting the price and that's affecting the money that's going back into racing so uh, my competition it's kind of like alibaba my competition is in markets um that don't have to pay tax aren't paying data aren't paying anything and why would you bet with me when you can get you know much better price offshore um, can you just clarify will why in the article with lee you were saying so many of your customers are already having to face affordability checks from your perspective well i mean it's i think the sort of headline grabbing title was by the third race of cheltenham you have to present your p60 i you know uh, honestly uh, sort of i'm recently applying for a mortgage and a, a, a remortgage and i'm having to sort of present my inside leg measurement as a sort of joke i've made to you in the past but um a lot of people are very resistant to providing documentation and what i said to lee was 50 percent of our clients that are requested uh documentation for both affordability and uh, source of funds and um anti-money laundering are just resistant to sharing them so there's still uh, you know big 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 punters who can afford to bet have either provided documents or gone and elsewhere um, but a lot of racing punters just simply don't want to provide you know go to that extra measure of having to provide details of um, three months salary um, p60s you know uh, you know mortgage payments credit card bills it's a lot of detail for people so it's you know and it's not smooth it's not slick and it's not soft checks yet hopefully we'll get to a place where that is but also we're talking about um, a cohort of people who are in their big punters are normally in their 50s and 60s and 70s they made good money you know their kids are off to university or whatever they've settled down they want to sell a leather sofa and bet on racing and they're they're probably not as tech savvy or not as um, willing to share document as a younger generation okay if we're talking about willing to share you're speaking quite freely and um yeah you support this podcast but you're always quite happy to come on and play a few shots notwithstanding that um and i know you'll take any questions as well why will you happily speak about this and why won't any um chief executives of of some of the more recognizable high street uh, and major online firms talk about this I mean, it's. Uh, I kind of. It was a bit baffling to me, and then it's the penny drops. It, uh, and I is it because is it because they, well, they, 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 they don't actually care that much? Because as you say, racing racing's not a big enough part of their business. Well, they do. Care. I mean, racing is racing is where um, you know UK bookmaking is world class and the best globally and it's built from horse racing so there's definitely there's a couple of ceos um in in the big five who don't give a monkeys about racing but that's the nature of you know listed companies but you know these companies were built off the back of racing but they have shareholder interest and as i said to lee uh, uh, you know a leader of one of the 
global leader, a leader of one of the global leading bookmakers at a conference I was at was saying the only players in town um, for regulated, for highly regulated markets like the UK are the big operators because they have basically moved their business model. So if you can't get um, a £10 8 to 1 bet on, the algorithm is stopping you. That is because bookmakers have changed their model and they're becoming a kind of risk-free uh, shareholder machine for delivering money. And really racing doesn't unfortunately it doesn't fall into that category it's not a virtual it's not the casino it's not a football acker which is just generally going to land one in a hundred of it's not you know in play tennis which has a phenomenal margin so racing unfortunately is a sort of relatively low margin high risk high reward you know betting market it's the perfect betting market in my opinion but for a company that needs to deliver consistent shareholder value it's too up and down I mean I can't speak for him but I'm sure Victor Chandler went bust 10 or 12 times because he played big boys uh, or big girls and um, and that was the nature of the bookie but nowadays these big listed companies they don't care I mean they want to make consistent revenue and unfortunately you know trying to get a couple of hundred quid on a horse doesn't fall into that category so they have basically uh protected themselves against legislation in the uk and that's why they are already enacting legislation that hasn't happened yet so i'm not knocking them They're big businesses they have what they have to do but ultimately they are squeezing the person who wants to win a bit of money on the horses uh, will as always uh, absolutely fascinating to talk to you um i normally make you laugh I smile. I smile. I smiled inside at various points, but I think um, I think you you probably left a, a lot a lot more people crying. I'll let you get back off to the uh, the tables at the Claremont Club and, and play the big boys and girls, and um, I'll head to my uh, my my billet on the outskirts skirts of Edinburgh. If I can say, Nick, it's not doom and gloom. We, there's a way out of this all. We'll work it out. Racing always comes good. But it's just a little bit scary at the moment. And I, I, I do want punters to get big bets on. So it's not toast. That's the, the breaking news. It's not toast. It's not toast yet. <laughs> well, listening to that was the man who penned the Racing Post article in which Will Woodhams initially said racing is toast. Uh, Rating most senior writer Lee Moss said that was the first part of a four-part uh, investigation. I, I think it's interesting talking to Will, and I don't just say that because he's a supporter of this podcast, but because he's actually prepared to put his head above the parapet and give you an unvarnished view the way he sees it. And I wonder whether this debate would be helped if more bookmakers were prepared to do that. I'm sure it would, Nick. Um, but I know for a fact, having spent weeks working um, on this piece and one that appears in, in today's edition, the bookmakers don't uh, want to talk on the record. Very few of them would even say anything off the record in terms of uh, guidance of their position. Um, we know from uh, previous commentary um, that what, regardless of what the Gambling Commission says, that bookmakers are terrified of the regulator that might be one factor why they have been so reticent to talk on this but you're right nick finding someone to comment was difficult in the end 
Will was pretty much a perfect person to comment for this particular debate anyway, because we're talking about this uh, this 3% figure that has been so integral to the, the white paper and the commentary put out by the government and the Gambling Commission. And Will's customer base is full of those higher staking punters that would find themselves liable to enhanced checks that would make the 3% claim look ridiculous and that would have a significant impact on the future finances of British horse racing should this uh, new policy for affordability checks come into law. And that's the point. It's it's genuine anecdotal experience. And it's also uh, suggestive of how punters are responding now. And we've quite often heard that the the threats of uh, of betters migrating to the to the black market is a is an empty one um and andrew rhodes in in the submission to the the dcms select committee that you attended a couple of weeks ago was extremely dismissive of that um now either he says that they're they're not telling the truth or they're being misrepresented absolutely nick i think um I know from having spoken to people subsequent to Andrew Rhodes' appearance before the the DCMS Select Committee that jaws dropped among senior um, senior racing international figures at what Andrew Rhodes said there, particularly within the Hong Kong Jockey Club and the Asian Racing Federation that have done an enormous amount of work and continue to do so on the black market, uh, working in tandem with with Brant Dunshay from the BHA over here and others. And there was astonishment at the way Andrew Rose dismissed the black market fear. Um, I have spoken to punters since then who have already migrated to the black market and worryingly for racing have spoke extremely positively of um, how they have found it since moving over. And that is a a real concern and as you say again Nick, will provides further direct experience of what is happening it's not loose theoretical talk he's telling us what people are doing he's saying that already 50 percent of new customers when asked to uh, engage with the sort of enhanced checks that this these plans would bring about they're already saying no we don't want to do it. And in, in today's racing post, we've heard from Chris Wright, leading uh, leading owner breeder, who's also now been caught up with with checks and saying, no, he wouldn't uh, engage in those so that in that sort of technique. People don't want to do it and people sure. already aren't doing it. There is something extraordinary, isn't there, Lee, about the juxtaposition of this with <laughs> with money being spent in the sales ring yesterday. Oh. Crisis? What crisis? And we've had this conversation before, um, but you know, it it it's always a it's always a an amusing irony. And I guess when you look at that, you think, well, Will's eventual kind of shrug of the shoulders and resigned. Yeah, it's probably not toast. It'll find a way. It probably has something to it. Yeah, um, it it it's it is bizarre, isn't it, Nick? I mean, we 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 regularly make the point that there are different um, funding streams, if you like, coming into to to british racing and the the money from from punters in terms of levy and media rights 
is clearly uh, hugely significant, vital, in fact. But obviously, we we do have the participants pumping money into the sport, and I think at the the top end, that remains incredibly strong. We saw that uh, at Goffs last week. We saw it at uh, at Tattersalls yesterday. But we shouldn't also forget as well that as events continued at Goffs last week, it became apparent that whilst the the top end of the table um, is is still extremely keen to spend money, those further down racing's food chain are perhaps a little less enthusiastic. So I think I'm sure we'll we'll see over the next two days at Tattersall's uh, huge sums of money being spent. But in some ways, it's it, what happens at the later books that perhaps gives us a, a deeper reflection of the the wider status quo. Well, we're going to head to Tattersall's now because yesterday, Charlotte Greenway was at the sale all day and she will be uh, today and into book two as well. So, uh, Charlotte, what was uh, happening down with you? Thanks, Nick. And yeah, here back at Tassels ahead of the start of uh, day two of book one and joined by Jane Mangan, who was around the sale yesterday. And Jane, what did you make of it? Yeah, it's, it's again, Charlie Chocolate Factory stuff. There's so many nice horses here. Um, the market started okay. It started a little bit tepid at the start, but I think by lunchtime, it had really warmed up some good horses going through. Looking at the bear figures, you're going to see the average was up 7% on last year and that the median was up 28%. So you're going to think positive, positive. But the number of horses that made over half a million was 11 compared to 16 last year. The clearance rate was down 5%. And I think that was just a reflection that last year's market to me was a little bit unrealistic. And we laterally found out that it was an inflated market. Yesterday, it was a little bit back to more I won't say it's real world stuff because when you're up here in book one, it's not the real world, but it was a little bit more competitive, shall we say, people getting involved at the one, two, three hundred grand level. Um, so yeah, it was uh, a firework day to a point. You know, I think Team Godolphin will be thrilled not only with the fact that they bought, I think 6.6 .6 million worth of horse flesh, but that their unproven first season sire for next year, Gayath, topped the sale. He had an amazing um, physical, this lot 151. I think we're going to hear from Trevor a little bit later on. Um, and the pedigree, obviously, being a brother to Victoria Road, made him a standout in that regard. But he was a beautiful physical. Um, so Ballyhimican can be thrilled with their top, their top lot. And the Dubawi out of Shasti is self-explanatory. Shasti has been a wonderful mare. I will call her maybe an ATM in equine form. She has made an awful lot of money for, for Newsels Park, and I'm sure they're going to add to that today but they were the two standouts but I would say overall it was a little bit more competitive and just when you were sort of looking going around looking at the horses the quality on offer was it was it obvious to see yeah it's it's a case where there's so many good horses you can't knock them off your list because they're literally there's no reason to knock them off the list you've got pedigree physical and nursery all of the the dots are joining if you know what I mean so um that they can't all make top top money uh, they all make good money don't get me wrong and there's a lot of people here there's a really strong middle eastern presence here there's a really strong american presence here um but yeah I, look it's book one it's always hard to buy it's usually a place you like to sell and uh, it's just good to be here 
And looking ahead to today's action in the sales ring, what have we got to look forward to? Yeah, so it's going to be a big uh, 10 or 20 minutes for Newsom's Park early doors. We started on lot 178, and when you get to 184, you've got the Frankel out of Vollersch, making that one of three parts to, um, to Volgeis, the arc winner that spoiled Enable all those years ago. <laughs> Uh, and then straight after that, they've got the Kingman out of Walid, so Walid being a sister to Waller. So the, the, they're two huge lots for Newsom's Park. Um, and then a little bit later on, you're going to have the Blue Point uh, out of Annalaw. So the Blue Point brother to Batash. Blue Point was probably one of the best sprinters of the last couple of decades, and uh, Batash right up there with him. They kind of overlapped. Uh, so the fact that they've kind of come full circle into this one horse. I think lot 240 is going to make a lot of money for uh, Paul McCartan a little bit later on. But uh, yeah, th there's a lot of highlights, there's a lot of fireworks. And uh, if you're here, it's, it's just like a theatre. It's like theatre in real time. Um, and yeah, just looking at that one, the Blue Point, obviously Blue Point's had a great year. Has that been reflected in the sales ring, I take it? Yeah, well, the sales ring is a very unforgiving place for sires if they have gone anyway cold or tepid. And even to get into this, book you kind of have to be by a good sire out of a good mare or a good pedigree so of course blue point is popular of course uh too darn hot is popular um but it's interesting when you see the gayath top yesterday what we're already looking forward to next year we're we're uh you know anybody in racing is dreaming we're, we'll have to admit that and i think we're all looking ahead to what will be next year so um yeah it's 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 just hard to get your head around it because it's not it's not real life this this is this is fairyland, and once we all go home and put saddles on these horses, that's when you know if it's been a good investment or not. They could be anything, sadly. Yeah, well, they could be anything, but you know, good horses come out of here. You know, slow horses come out of here. But that's the same. That's the same when in every sale and every walk of life, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got a judgment. They put their valuations on these horses, so they make see their valuations. But uh, it's great to see the the competition is extremely strong here. Team Coolmore were getting involved at a very high level. The Americans were getting in, involved at a very high level. Peter Brandt uh, signing for the Lope de Vega at lot 153. Um, Kildara Stud, we must mention them. They've had such a, a fairy tale couple of days with their breeding a group one winner, uh, consigning and, and pin hooking and breezing a group one winner. And then to put through to see the stars yesterday, sister Cecil Grode, uh, and she made a considerable amount of money as well, 575,000 going to Godolphin. That was, uh, that kind of set the scene because that was lot five. So within the first half hour, we kind of knew that Sheikh Mohammed meant business and uh, that if anybody comes up against them, they've got a formidable opponent. Well, Jane, thank you so much. And I'm sure we'll catch up with you again later on in the week. Absolutely. All right, Charlotte, well, I'm having a real treat this morning because, as I said at the beginning of the show, I'm in Kinross, very near Kinross. Remind me what the actual place is, Lucinda? We're in a place called Fossaway, which is very near Kinross. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, I would say it's a bracing morning here with Lucinda Russell, um, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've seen as many horses as, as you could possibly imagine, uh, and it's such an exciting time of the year because, at the moment, um, they're either all winning or they're going to win or they're all going to end up at Cheltenham and win as many races as you want. Uh, the, the thing that strikes me as I've never been here before is it just feels like a buzzing, vibrant, thriving, happy place. Yeah, I have to say you've been absolutely brilliant, Nick. Thank you, because uh, it's been very much a case of follow me and off we go at high speed to uh, get another horse or, or um, 
uh, check things. So um, thank you for, for running along in time with me. And uh, yeah, it's always quite exciting. As you say, this time of year is just, just brilliant. Um, our hopes and dreams are still alive. Horses are all still thriving and we've still got all those plans to make. Um, we've had a great start to the season and uh, we just can't keep, wait to keep, keep going. That hum you can hear is one of the new horse walkers that's been put in here uh, and a sort of brand new sort of state-of-the-art addition to your, to your setup, really. And you put so much thought and, and science and innovation behind it. I'm, I cannot be more impressed. <laughs> that's very kind of you to say that. Uh, we kind of knew that the numbers were going to go up um, after Correct won the national and uh, so we've decided to to try and increase, get get the get the basics right and get everything um, bigger and better before we put ourselves under pressure. So um, we did a lot of work through the summer, um, and I'm I'm really pleased with it. As you say, everything that we do, you, you've been with me all day. I can't take anything unless it's had, got scientific background to it and 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 it's proven. So. Uh, Let's, uh, let's keep going that way, I think. Uh, people will see on my Twitter feed this morning, I posted a picture as you deliberately tried to run me over. Do, you do what you need to do. You deliberately tried to run me over when you were leading the string, um, uh, cantering around the fields. And people look at that and think, well, it's something a bit unconventional. And I know Rob Hogarth posts loads of it on Facebook. Lucinda's just backing this horse off the, off the horse walker as we, as we speak. Yeah, uh, so when they look at that, what are you doing here? when you're leading them, them all around the fields? You know, we're just letting the horses have fun. We're letting them be horses. Uh, it's good for the staff. It's good for the horses. And I think, I think it's good fun. I, I have to admit, I did say to them, go straight for Nick. Go straight for Nick. <laughs> so uh, well done for not running backwards. But I, um, I knew you weren't going to run me over. Who's this you've got on your hand now? This is a sweet filly called Aurora Thunder. She ran at Perth the other day. And uh, she's just coming back to, um, back to full, full, full work again. I was trying to get her to snicker into the microphone, but she wasn't quite, quite clever enough to do that. Um, everyone will want to know how the, what I would call the big three are, Correct Rambler particularly. You're not far away, are you? No, we're not far away. We're looking at the end of the month with him, so uh, we've had to step his work up. He, look, he's been in training since uh, the end of June, so he's done plenty of, plenty of groundwork, but uh, we're now just putting up the pace, and actually you'll see him today working today with his expert work rider, P. Scudamore. How is Peace Gudemore? Is he in good form? He's in very good form. He's as excited as all of us. It's just, uh, it's just great. You know, we never stop talking about our plans for the horses, and it's just a fantastic time of year. Even better after you were so nice about him on Desert Island Discs. I really, really enjoyed that. I said to you at the time, if um, if you had no interest in racing, which of course ninety nine point nine percent of the audience don't, and you just listen to that, you think, oh, horse racing sounds like a fun thing to do. Yeah, it was really good. I have to say, the uh, the presenter Lauren Laverne, I knew that she was she was sort of a little bit. Um, ambivalent about whether she liked horse racing or not so uh, I did want to make it make it sound a good good thing for her and and for as you say for the majority of the people that were listening to to just to promote our sport and see how how we do do things well and and the welfare of the horses look you know it's it's coming it's not just about racing but they're going to turn against the other horse sports as well and I think we've got a real responsibility to make sure that people understand what we do yeah that's a really good point actually I was doing this conference on Monday in Paris and the, the keynote speaker had done an awful lot of work for the FEI. Nat Warren had done a lot of research into sort of the way people perceive horse sports. One of the really shocking things was how badly people within horse sports think of each other. And you're thinking, well, come on, everyone's got to 
you really be a bit more cohesive and try and you know, promote best practice and understand each other a little bit better? Yeah, so we do, um, because I'm, my background was in eventing, I do a lot of stuff with the British Horse Society. And, um, they were saying how dressage has a really uh, a bad mm. feeling about it from people within dressage. Um, you know, there are certain practices that aren't really very, very palatable. And um, I think, you know, we've, we've got to look at ourselves, but we've got to look at ourselves against the whole general public as well. What about some of the other stars in this yard? Ahoy, senor. Um, oh, God, I don't know how, how close he'd have gone in the Gold Cup, but surely he, he would have run well had he not come down. Yeah, I suppose that was, um, you know, you talk about the highs and the lows. It, it, it wasn't a horrendous low because he was fine afterwards, but um, it's not, it really got our emotions going. You know, he's, he's a lovely horse. Uh, I still think he's got a great chance again in another, in another Gold Cup. So uh, that's where he's going to be aimed. Aurora Thunder's just going into her box. She's just been on the walker for a little while. Um, and Apple a Day, your, your winner at Aintree of the Sefton, the race you'd won with Ahoy Senor a couple of years previously. That was some season, wasn't it? Wasn't it? And, you know, it's funny with Apple. I, I feel so sorry for her because she, um, she was totally over, over, you know, the Karak winning the next day at the National um, sort of uh, became headlines and she drifted into the background. But, um, you know, for a mare to take on those other, those other hurdlers was a fantastic fantastic thing and she was yeah we're very very proud of her she schooled over fences and uh can't wait for her to go she might even reappear next week at at, uh at wooster i think there's a mayor's chase down there saw a beautiful mayor this morning called el elefante who's unbeaten under rules she just looks a bit special yeah she's she's lovely she's chestnut mayor um she's not a standout on on looks but she's just the most straightforward wonderful horse i've ever ever had anything to do with uh, wonderful mayor i've ever had anything to do with Right, what a season ahead for this team. It's been a joy being here this morning, but um, I've just seen a horse called Whistle Stop Tour, and Charlotte, to be honest with you, that could, uh, that could accurately describe it. I've been kept up to my work, and I'm very much enjoying it. Maybe I am a country boy at heart. Still at the sales and the morning of day two of book one, and I'm joined by... Trevor Stewart, the breeder of the top lot yesterday, a Gayath cult out of Tickled Pink, who made a million fifty to Godolphin. And Trevor, you bought the Grand Dam Cassandra Go back in 1997, and it's been quite the journey since then, hasn't it? It's been a real journey. In fact, I bought her as a foal in 1996, and with the whole intention of uh, reselling her as a yearling. And then she went to the sales and. Um, at the very last moment, I saw um, Coolmore bidding and a few others bidding. I thought, well, if they love her, they can't have her. And I bought her back. And my wife wasn't very happy at the time, but it's turned out a dream. And yesterday's <clears throat> result, obviously you've had good, uh, good results in the sales ring before and great uh, results on the track as well. Obviously, Victoria Road's a half to the Goeth Colton. Uh, expectations yesterday, how did you sort of manage them going in? Well, obviously, we knew he had a very nice cold. His scope was was superb. His x-rays were excellent. But nevertheless, he was by a first season sire. And there's probably always limitations, understandably, on value. Uh, so he certainly made an awful lot more than I thought uh, that he would make. And But uh, you never know to the last moment. And so very happy. It was... And is he very typical of the family of what you've seen? No, he's not, right, he's not so typical of Tickle Pinks because he's probably more size and scope. 
um, but he has all the quality that she had herself and she's always put into all her uh, folds and obviously going back to the, the Grand Am, it's all quality all the way. And as we spoke about just before we started recording, you've had a long-standing relationship with Ballyhimmick and Stud and they've played a big part in this, haven't they? Yes, I mean, really, that is a very important part of the formula. Uh, James and his, his great team, his wonderful farm, and really that is the basis of any, uh, of, of any um, breeding operation, is the land they come from, the operation, the way they're handled, the expertise, and that really has been very important in, uh, in, in the breeding of Cassandra Go and all her, her offspring. And how did that first come about, your relationship? Well, James has been a friend of mine for a long time, and uh, we decided to do one or two things together, and then uh, when Cassandra Go retired, uh, it was very logical I sent her back to his farm, and from then it's all stemmed from there, and we've remained very good friends, and he's been a great advisor to me all over the years. And so you've got something else today, I hear. Is that, is that Ballachimic yes, and Strapp another as well? Another Ballachimic and that, that I was sharing. And um, it's a, a very nice Pinatubo out of a, a super uh, Judmon family. And hopefully he'll go well as well. Well, fingers crossed. Thank yes. you so much for your time this morning. A and pleasure. yeah, we'll be following uh, the Pinatubo later on. Lovely, appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Charlotte, thanks so much. Lee Mottishead is still with me. Lee, I wanted to have a quick word just about those Melbourne Cup declarations which came through. When I say declarations, it's the latest uh, forfeit stage, if you like. What does it tell us about the likelihood of any or much European uh, participation? Uh, disappointing news in some ways on the European front, um, Nick. Aidan O'Brien no longer has any potential to be involved in this year's Melbourne Cup. The horse he sent across to the Cox Plate Victoria Road will stay in Australia eventually. So he is on a one-way ticket. But we still clearly have um, the chance of a European winner of the Melbourne Cup and a very big chance in the sense that Willie Mullins has Vulban at the head of the betting. He is already at the Werribee Centre, the quarantine centre in Australia, along with his stable companion, Absurd Connections, trying to find a jockey for him uh, for the race. Nick Joseph O'Brien still has two potential runners in Valiant King and Akita Sushi. Uh, Japan could be represented by Breakup. Chris Waller has significantly uh, reduced um, his potential participation. And really now the quality stuff from him is still there in the race. And, and one interesting one, Nick, that has developed in recent weeks in Australia is a horse who formerly raced in the Royal Colours over here uh, for the late Queen, Just Fine, who's now trained by Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Botton, and that horse has been winning big races, including the Metropolitan uh, last Saturday. He now is very prominent in the betting for the Melbourne Cup. And Nick, I think it's worth mentioning as well that we have a big day at Flemington on Saturday, the Tab Terminal right. Stakes. Oh, I, can't, of a I series. can't wait to see the Romantic Warriors running, isn't he? Absolutely, yeah. So Romantic Warrior, Hong Kong superstar, favourite for the Cox Plate. He goes in Australia for the first time under J-Mac, James McDonald, in the Turnbull, but it is a race stacked full of horses that pod listeners from Britain and Ireland will know well. One of them still represents Britain. West Wind blows for the uh, Middle Park winning duo of Simon and Ed Crisford. He goes in the Turnbull Stakes en route to the Caulfield Cup, not the Melbourne Cup. You're only allowed to have two runs in Australia as an international visitor in Melbourne. Jamie Spencer rides him. We've also got horses, Nick, like Solcombe, Last year's Mel, uh, Melrose winner and Francesco Gardi, both now 
with Chris Waller, both prominent in the Melbourne Cup betting, both former British train horses. They're in there. Gold Trip, last year's Melbourne Cup winner is in there. Horses like Emissary, Uncle Bryn, Duke de Sessa, El Bodigon, all well-known to pod listeners from our part of the world, all go in a fascinating Turnbull on Saturday. Yes, in case you were playing that game, where are they now about medium to high rated <laughs> horses in Britain and Ireland and France? The answer is normally uh, Australia or potentially Hong Kong, which is where we head now to J.A. McGrath. Hi, Nick. Danny Sham is a trainer we should be following at Happy Valley today. There are eight competitive races and it's a tough card. But if Danny's a little preoccupied, it will come as no surprise. His focus will be on Melbourne, where his champion Romantic Warrior has his first start outside Hong Kong in the Group 1 Turnbull Stakes over a mile and a quarter at Flemington on Saturday. It's going to be a big challenge. A full field of 16 runners in the Turnbull, and it's a hot field. We've got last year's Melbourne Cup winner Gold Trip lining up. Also, West Wind Blows representing the Crisfords. Jamie Spencer going down to Melbourne to ride West Wind Blows, who was, of course, third in the Eclipse. And uh, as a few names that you might uh, remember from the past, Spanish Mission, Solcom, Francesca Gardi, uh, El Bodigon, um, Emissary, Uncle Bryn. It'll be something like a UK equine reunion. And Romantic Warrior, who's 10 from 14, uh, is facing the starter there. It'll be interesting to see how he gets on. James McDonald will take the ride on Romantic Warrior. He rode him recently in a track gallop uh, at Flemington, and he gives the thumbs up for his chances. So we'll see how he gets on. But Danny, of course, has uh, uh, runners today at Happy Valley. Uh, the most interesting is in race six, number one, Denfield, who I think is an untapped talent so far. He's a four-year-old by Deepfield, very well thought of and very unlucky last start. When he finished third, he made up a lot of ground after getting squeezed up at the start, losing ground and then running on for Karis Teton. Well, this time, Zach Purton steps in to take the ride for the first time. And although it's drawn a little bit wide in nine, I think that Denfield will go very, very close indeed. So race six, number one, Denfield to win at Happy Valley to beat number seven, High Percentage. Another one to keep in mind is Harry Bentley's ride in the last, and that's for uh, Francis Lawyer, a horse called Silver Sonic, who uh, is a very capable horse, I think, uh, from Australia, and, and another one who is uh, a little bit of an untapped type. So in race eight, number five, Silver Sonic, and uh, Harry Bentley so far has had four winners already in seven meetings, and that's pretty good going. So that's all on the Hong Kong Beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. All right. Thanks to all my guests this week, uh, to Jim in Hong Kong, of course, and to everybody at Tattersall's, Jane and Charlotte. And Lee Mottishead is, is still with me, and he has uh, some advice for you for today. Um, yes, if, you, Nick. if you're in Scotland like I am, Lee, it's stay indoors. I think <laughs> the is contrast it? between Paris yesterday morning or whenever the hell I was there the day I was I there yesterday or the day before I don't even you remember. were there on Sunday you were there on Sunday and, and Monday and Monday what yes. day is it today Wednesday yeah okay today is Wednesday 36 hours ago there to here now I just could not be starker yeah no goodness it was it was hot in uh in Paris over the weekend and Bring on drink the jumps. where you are now Bring on the jumps yeah well after our world tour Nick in this 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 pod edition I'm now taking you to Nottingham and the 442 it's a two mile handicap the follow at Whirlpool on X handicap, and I'll be following number nine, 
Buckslow Boy, trained by David Menizier. He's a horse who has been progressing as he has moved up in trip. He moves up in trip again today to two miles. I think that could bring about further improvement in the three-year-old, and I'm therefore going for Buckslow Boy in the 4.42 at Nottingham. Yeah, love a uh, gratuitous whirlpool mention crowbar into the show as well. Lee, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who's contributed today. We'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow from where in the world? Who the hell knows? Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.